Hey family, this is Joshua Jones. My wife, Lindsay, and I have the honor of being the lead followers of Way Family Church right here in Edmond, Oklahoma. Thank you for taking a minute to tune in. We pray the message gives you a different perspective about Jesus, His gospel, and what living life in His kingdom is all about. Take notes, listen intently, and be blessed. Ready for some gospel? Yeah, what does gospel mean? Good news. Too good to be true, good news, but what? But it's still true. Once again, if what you believe to be true about God isn't too good to be true, it's really not good news, right? God is not like our doctor, right? He doesn't say, do you want the good news first or the bad news? He only has good news. This is why we call it the gospel. This is why the apostles called it the gospel. Um, if you brought your Bibles, I got just a couple of passages, and then I just want to talk with you a little bit today, and then I hope um, everybody's got some fun things, maybe plan to be with your family later on today. Uh, we're going to look at Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5. I know that's one place that we're going for sure. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5 and 2 Corinthians 5. Romans 5 and 2 Corinthians 5. So Romans 5, I think it's verse, I know Katie's got it back there, throw it up for me. I think it's verse 6 starting out. Yes. And I might, let me pull that up. I might even read that from the Passion Translation just because it's beautiful. I'm going to read that from the New King James and then I'm going to turn right back around and read it from the Passion Translation. Is that okay? Romans chapter 5, Paul is writing, of course, to the church that is in Rome. And uh, remember, Romans were, I mean, they were pagans. And so these are people that have put their faith in Jesus. And uh, Paul is one of the, if I had to pick probably one epistle in the New Testament to keep, I'm probably going to pick Romans because it's just loaded. But this is what he tells them. This is beautiful. For when we were still without strength... If you don't have strength, they would call you what? So let me read it this way. For when we were still weak, in due time, Christ died for the righteous. Who did he die for? Okay, let me say this. Who was ungodly? Not some. All of us were ungodly. And he says this, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love. Man, I love this. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that, how does he do it? In this way, while we were still, what did he do? Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. He says again, I died for everyone, really, while they were sinners. Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. I want, I want, I want you to understand this. We are not saved from the wrath of God. God doesn't have any wrath toward us as human beings. I want you to understand that, right? 
there's a big mistranslation in many Bibles that says that actually the translators put at the raft, they would put of God in there because they tried to make the text make sense. But who was God in the flesh? Who was Jesus ever wrathful towards? So the wrath that Jesus was saving us from was not the wrath of God the Father because the Son and the Father have always been one. Why would Jesus want to save you from his wrathful Father if he was actually saving you to get you to him? I would throw this water bottle across the back of this room so fast. Because that is, the, that is the garbage that has been taught for a couple hundred years in America. Jesus didn't come to save you from his dad. Because our father is not a cosmic abuser. For if when we were enemies, looked it up in my Blue Letter Bible app while I was in my office, and it literally says, in the mind. Literally. You understand God has never been our enemy. But we consider ourselves his. Because what son or daughter is an actual enemy of their father? Woo! Listen. If when we considered ourselves enemies, we were reconciled to God. How? Through the death of his son. Much more now that you've been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but he says we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received what? The reconciliation. Now that was 2,023 years ago that Paul got a revelation that guess what? We have been reconciled. You're not going to be reconciled. You have been reconciled. The gospel is so raw, it confronts us. Because here in America, we always say, yeah, but you still got to do this one thing. Jesus didn't say, I did 99% of the work and I left this one thing for you to do. He called it the finished work. Not the almost or the two-thirds. He didn't say, I almost got it done, but I left a little bit for you to do, Kenneth. This is the finished work. Of the cross, right? Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Is that what I said? I think it was. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Help me today, Lord, to communicate your heart. Ooh. Verse 14. This is so good. He says, for the love of Christ, man. The love of Christ compels us because we are convinced that one died for who? Who's the one? Jesus. Who's the all? The whole world, right? One died for all. And if one died for all, then how many died? I want, I'm, just, they gonna, <laughs> I'm just trying to paint a picture for you, okay? If one died for all, in other words, he didn't die for those that would say the prayer. He died. That's why we don't get in America. He died for all. And if one died for all, how many died? All died. Watch this. In verse 15, just in case you didn't get it, Paul says it again. And he died for 
that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. And he's the same one that what? Rose again. Go ahead, Paul. So therefore, from now on, we don't know anyone according to the flesh. He said, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, we don't even know him that way any longer. I'm going to just keep on reading. <clears throat> Verse seven, uh, 18. No, 17. Therefore, if anybody is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Old things have what? Notice he didn't say old things are slowly passing away. He didn't say they're slowly dying off. I'm just, I'm just trying to die to my flesh, brother. Waiting on my flesh to die. No, no. He said, old things have already passed away. Behold, all things have what? They become new. And then he says this. Now all things are of God. Who has what? Reconciled us what? To himself. Through who? And has given us what? The ministry of reconciliation. What is that? He tells you what it is. That is this, that God was in Christ. So remember this, Jesus didn't die to save you from an angry dad. If he would have, if he would have been, if Moses would have necessarily had it right, he could have saved me from the God of Moses because that one, the one that sometimes they saw it clearly, sometimes they didn't, that one would stone you. But Jesus said, when you see me, you see the Father. He says, this is the revelation that God has always been in the Son. What was the Father through the Son doing? Well, he, he tells you, reconciling the world, what? And that don't mean earth. It means every created thing. Every created thing. He was reconciling it to himself. Watch this. Not imputing their what? You mean to tell me? <laughs> Y'all know what it's like that you go to church and all they do is point out what you do wrong, what you do wrong, what you... If Jesus would have done that, he'd have still been doing that. But he says, I don't impute to you your trespasses. Your mind will do that really good for you. Yeah? You know what the Bible says of love? 1 John 4, 8, 1 John 4, 16. God is love. 1 Corinthians 13 says love doesn't keep any record of wrong. But American Christians do. Love says, I ain't imputing your trespasses to you. But you know what I've done? I've committed to you the word of reconciliation. Man, 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 man. Father, let your word speak to us today in Jesus' name. Everybody say, we got to see Jesus right. Come on, say, we got to see Jesus right. You guys are right if I write a little bit? I don't know what happened to my eraser, but I got a finger in Jesus' name. Somebody grab me a piece of tissue. Cameron, if you do that, I'll, I'll work that. Jesus always was God. I want you to understand that. Before anything was created, God is. Everybody say to say, before anything was created, God is. I didn't say God was. God is. Before God was, he is first is. 
There was never a time that the Trinity did not exist. You understand that? God is love. Love needs someone or something else to pour itself out on if it's real love. So before the Father ever created anything through the Son, by the power of his Holy Spirit, before he ever did any, any of that, guess who the Father loved on? Himself and community. The Father is love. For God is what? Love. 1 John 4 8 and verse 16. The Son has always been the beloved. He gets baptized, and the Father says, This is my agapitos. This is my beloved Son. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, He is the bond of love. Notice the Father is the love, the Son is the beloved. And the spirit is the bond of love. Right? The Trinity has always existed. Inside the Trinity, yes, we have Father. Yes, we have Son. And yes, we have Spirit. And believe it or not, that is still a mystery to us, right? But don't throw something away just because you can't understand it. But I don't understand how my car works. Now, some people, somebody in this room does. You don't understand how your phone works, but somebody in this room does, but you still use it. Anyway, Jesus always been one with the Father and the Spirit. He was always the capital S-O-N of, I rarely say God, but I'm going to put this on here for y'all folks who don't come here often. He was always a son of his Papa. He was the son of God. Watch this. And that... He was always a son of God, of heaven. But Daniel called Jesus a really beautiful title. Daniel called him the son of man. The title that is most used by Jesus himself concerning himself is son of man. Jesus rarely walked around and said, I'm the son of God. But he would call himself the son of man. Son of man, man, humans, earth. See heaven and earth? Jesus was both the son of God. And when he came to the earth, he called himself what? The son of man. Why is that important? Why is the incarnation, the birth of Jesus important? Because watch this. Because it was the perfect marriage, the perfect harmony of God and humanity. So Jesus was the son of God. And he was, which is heaven, and he was the son of man, which is of the earth. Why is that important? Because we have to see something. Jesus living on the planet for 33 and a half years, he was proclaiming something to us. But sometimes religion won't let us see it. He was so much the son of God that he created the whole cosmos and the earth. But he was son of man enough to live on the earth that he himself created. No, no, no. So he was so much son of God that he could create the sun and put it in the heavens so that it could literally give warmth to us. And he was son of man enough to live on the earth that he created as a son of God, but son of man enough to absorb the warmth of the sun that he himself created. He was son of God enough to create flowing rivers and flowing streams and oceans that teem with life. But he was son of man enough 
to scoop his hands and drink the water that he himself created. He was son of God enough to create this whole earth, really the cosmos, and give humanity authority to rule over it and enjoy it. So much so that he even created these human bodies for us to live in. But, you know, it doesn't take long for humans to get themselves in a mess. Job said this in the book of Job. He said, man born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. I'm like, now, Job, now you messed up on a lot of stuff, but you got that one verse right. Man born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. We don't know how long Adam in Eden was hanging out before he partook of the fruit, but we do know this, he partook of the fruit. And when Adam partook of the fruit, he didn't trip and fall. But when Adam partook of the fruit, instantly it's like he forgot who he was. And even though he never got disowned as God's son, he got displaced as a son. And we were all in the son of God. You know, the New Testament, I think it's the genealogy of Matthew, I believe. He goes, or Luke, they go all the way back to Adam and it says, Adam, son of God. So Adam, the son of God, when Adam fell because Adam bore all of us inside of him, carried all of us inside of him, guess what we inherited? That same fall. That's how we got in the dilemma that we're in today, Chris. So, <laughs> I love some of the early church writers. St. Athanasius says, what was God to do with humanity? We're in a new predicament. What was God to do? Would he throw everything else away? But that's not how God works. Instead, what God did is God said this. I know that my original son of God on the earth, Adam, I know he failed. But I have a remedy to that, salute, to that problem. What I'm going to do is I'm not going to send you just another Adam. I'm not going to send you a second Adam. I'm not going to send you a third Adam. I'm going to send you a 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to send you what Paul called the what? The what? Last Adam. I was telling this a few, uh, I think maybe a week or so ago, I was doing what's called a gospel chat with a friend of mine. I used to work for my father-in-law uh, way back in 2005, and what I did for him is I made CDs. He was a pastor, traveled to about 89 different countries, and I got a job back in the day where you used to have to make CDs by hand, and I was printing. I would literally print out the cover of the CD, and I would press it on, and I would you know, put it in the CD holder, and I would ship them out when people would order them, but I would be in this back room, and he had a CD tower, and it was called a CD duplicator, and it had 10 slots on it. Sorry, it had 11. One was for the master, and the other CD slots were called slaves, and so the first one here was called master, and just say I was making a CD for my father-in-law of his preaching, and at three minutes and 27 seconds, there was a skip on the CD. Well, that's the master. And then I make duplicates, slave copies of the master. Then guess what? At three minutes and 27 seconds on every copy of the master, there's going to be a what? Why is there going to be a skip? Because the master had a skip on it. Adam was our master. He was the fountainhead of all humanity, and he had a skip on him. And his skip Happened to every person that was made in his image. The CD can only look like the, the one that you're making in a duplicate of. 
We came from Adam. What was God to do? Would God come and just wipe out the whole tower? Thank God that the papa said, no, that's not what I'm going to do. But you know what I'm going to do? St. Athanasius says God has something better in mind. He has something more holistic in mind. I'm going to not give you just another Adam. I'm going to give you a last Adam. Which Romans 5 says that the original Adam was actually a prototype of this one. The last Adam preceded the first Adam. Don't think that Adam came before the last Adam now. Anyway, all things came through him, the scripture says. And God says, you know what I'm going to do to fix every skip? I'm not going to tear down the tower. I'm going to just give you a whole nother Adam. And if you think that you can inherit everything from the first Adam and it would condemn the whole world, I got really good news from you. I'm going to replace you with the last Adam. And if you can inherit, well, hold on, hold your applause. If you can inherit every skip that was on the first Adam, what do we inherit from Adam? Shame, guilt. Huh? The, the, the voice that Adam used to run to in the garden because he longed to see his dad. After he sinned, he felt shameful. He thought God was going to do something to him. And he ran and he hid himself. We inherited all that stuff. Sin, sickness, disease, poverty, insecurity, anxiety. It all came from the first Adam. But God said, I got a good plan for you. I'm going to give you everything that's on the last Adam. That's wholeness. That's health. That's security. That's what the Bible calls the kingdom, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And the good thing is you don't got to work to try to get it. You don't got to pray harder. You don't got to read more. You don't got to fast more. You don't got to have better church attendance. You got this by faith. Son of God, son of man. The original son of God who was a man fell and every man coming after him. Fail, and ultimately, the greatest enemy of mankind has never been sin. That's, we teach that in the West, but in the East, it's always been death. And because of Adam, we got entombed in death. And that's the dilemma. What do we do now, Jesus? How do we, how do we get out of this thing, Jesus? Maybe if we do better church services. Maybe if I memorize more Bible verses. Well, let's look at what Paul says about the goodness of God for us. Just go back to Romans 5. Man, I might get to 2 Corinthians. I might not. This is what Paul says in Romans 5. He says in verse 6. You could put these verses up, by the way. When we were still what? Still without strength. In other words, we were weak. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Aren't you glad that our father didn't wait for you to become strong before he stepped in for you? Come on. Look, I'm going to just be honest. If I, had to, if I had to quit pornography myself, I'm, a lo- I'm lost. I, I know I was lost. Right? We didn't find God because God wasn't lost. God found us. There are some things you could quit. Like I, could, I quit cussing on my own, but really... Even that was grace. There's some things you, you feel like you can stop on your own, but realistically, even that's grace. But there are those things you know you can't do it on your own. And the Father, through Paul here, says, when you were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And how many was ungodly? All. And he says, for a righteous man, 
Somebody might die. If you could find a good man in verse 7, he said, you might even dare to die for a good man. But that was the issue. The Bible says there is none good, no, not. There is none good, no, not one. Oh, but verse 8. And Paul starts verse 8 with a but. Now, I just read some really, I mean, you know, it could be good or bad based on how you read it. But Paul's about to change everything in verse 8 because he starts with the word but. And but just means everything you just read is fixing to get consumed by the next statement. But God demonstrated. I looked up the word demonstrate in my blue letter Bible app. You know what it says? To show, to prove, to establish, or to exhibit. To show, to prove, to establish, or to exhibit. In other words, Papa says this. I'm going to show you. I'm going to prove to you. I'm going to establish to you. I'm going to exhibit to you my love for you. How are you going to do it, God? In this way. That while you are still weak, while you are not good, and while you are not righteous, I'm going to send my son for you in that condition. Before you say a prayer, before you attend church, before you quit cussing, before you quit pornography, before you quit fussing at your kids, before you quit on all the stuff in that state, I'm sending my son for you. So you can never, ever have the excuse, God, when I get things right, because we can't get things right. He even gave us a rule book, told us what to do. Do this, this, this. Don't do this, this, this. We still missed it. Multiple choice. Here's all the answers, and we still failed the test. We still failed the test. And while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. While I was harmatia, while I was missing the mark, certainly you'll wait for me to get it right. No, while you're missing the mark, Christ died for me. He says this, much more than having now been justified by his blood, verse 9, we shall be saved from wrath through him. If it was the Father's desire to be wrathful and vengeful toward us, don't you said, don't you think he'd have been like, just let him keep on living, I'm gonna get him. Like, where would you run from God if he wanted to get you? I mean, where you got, you cannot, he got bigger legs than us, he can outrun you. Like, where are you gonna hide? He's omniscient, he sees all. Where would you hide? He's omniscient, he knows all. He's behind the mountain before you get there. Right? I always say that Adam and, Adam and God were not playing hide and go seek when the father said, hey, Adam, where you at, man? I give up, man. I got to go back. I got to go back. Where you at? Come on out now. That's not what he was doing. He knows everything. Right? If when we were enemies in our mind, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Everybody say reconciled. This is why, to me, the, the cross and the tomb is important. You ready for this? Here's what reconcile means in the Blue Letter Bible app. To change, to exchange as coins for others' equivalent value. 
to reconcile those who are at variance, right? Uh, definition two says to return to favor with or be reconciled to one. Verse three, to receive one into favor. So here's what Paul was saying. He says, when the father sent his son for you, he did it when you were ungodly. He did it for when you were definitely unrighteous by your own acts. He did it when you were obviously weak. He did it when you were obviously bad. He didn't wait for you to get things right. He did it when you were harmatia, when you were still sinful. That's when the son came. And now that he's come, he has justified you or made you righteous by his blood. And now because of that, he has reconciled you. In other words, he has made you to be in favor. He has put you in a place to receive favor. He has put you at one with him again. It's what we call at-one-ment or atonement. You see it? And he has exchanged values with you. He's made you or gave you value back again that you thought you lost. And it's like God is saying, what more would I have to do for you in order for you to understand I love you? I love you. 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 Second Corinthians 5, let me go there and read for a moment. I love you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I love you. I love you. He says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 14, the love of Christ compels me because this is why we judge. If one died for all, then all died. See, what we never learned here in America is the same way that all men were in the first Adam. Likewise, by grace, we've been put into the last Adam. First Corinthians one thirty says, "It is of God that you are in Christ." Well, I thought my prayer put me in there. No, that be by works. It is by grace through faith. By the way, grace is His and faith is His. That not of yourselves. Well, I thought it was my prayer. No, it's by grace through faith. That not of yourselves, for it is the gift of God. Paul says, "It is of God that you are in Christ." Jesus. The problem is people don't know they're in Christ. This is why we share the gospel. If Jesus, if we were all in the first Adam and we inherited his skip, now by way of God's grace through his faith, we're now in the last Adam. This is raw gospel now. You know, you can tell how it's gospel because in your mind it'll make you say, yeah, but. Every time. Every time. Yeah, but. We were all placed in the last Adam. Why? Because the first Adam fell and got the whole world where we were, and then everybody was subject, subject to death. Now the last Adam has to come and give birth through a whole new creation. <laughs> Anybody's in Christ. Well, who's that anybody? He said, well, if one died for all, then how many died? All died. He comes now. As the new fountainhead of all humanity, fixing to undo everything the first Adam did. The last Adam came to undo everything the first Adam did. The first Adam in a garden, Stephen, partook of fruit and damned all of humanity. But here goes the last Adam in a garden. <laughs> One called the Garden of Gethsemane. 
But two, also at the garden tomb. Remember when Mary shows up at his tomb? And the body's gone and she freaks out. Remember that story? And she's sitting there weeping. And somebody behind her comes. And says, who are you seeking? She's like, don't you know what happened here? Three days ago, don't you understand what happened? Jesus, we believed him to be Messiah. They hung him on a cross and they killed him. Don't you know anything? Don't you know what happened? And the Bible says, she supposing him to be a gardener. (laughs) And he says to her, Mary. And it was something about the way he said it. She knew his voice and the way he was saying, she turns around and she recognizes, it's you. You're him. It's me. The first man damned all of humanity in the garden. The first Adam. But here comes the last Adam in a garden as the gardener saying, I come to redeem everything the first Adam did wrong. And in that day, the sons and daughters ran away from their dad because they, they, they had a wrong view of him. And they, they thought themselves to be sinful and they ran and they hid. But in that day, when she heard the voice of the gardener, Matthew, she ran to where he was. And she gripped him. And you know what he had to say? He had to say, Mary... Don't grab me. Don't cling to me. He says this, because I'm fixing to go to my God and your God. And then he says this, to my father and your father. What? What? What do you mean? Because I'm fixing to give birth to a whole new creation. And everything the first Adam entombed in his sinful act, I'm fixing to bring it out of the tomb. And what I just did, that's why the tomb is empty. That's why the tomb is empty. One died for all, then all died. And he died for all, verse 15, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Darla, are you in here by chance? I don't know. Is she in here? Darla, yes, please come play, if you can, if you can. If not, we'll do it without it. God is good. He says this. I want you to understand something, guys, about about this empty tomb and and Jesus being put into the ground. I I do not have enough time. I do not have enough time to do this, but I'm going to try to end quickly. So then my wife will say, you did good today. <laughs> Don't you know they're back there keeping babies still in the tomb? Josh, you got to let them out. So I'm like, I got to let them out. <laughs> Jesus. I read this, man. I've been reading some of Callisto's swear, man. That guy's messing me up, man. In my reading this week, I've been reading a lot of books from the Orthodox perspective. And he says, the last Adam, or the Son of Man, or the Son of God, wasn't just God in flesh walking around. No more than Adam was just the Son of Man or the Son of God walking around. Adam had in himself all of humanity. Likewise did the last Adam, all of humanity. He says this, that Jesus Christ, watch this, as the son of God, he was God for every human being. Don't miss this next statement. But as the son of man, he was every man back to God. That is mind-boggling. That is mind-boggling. Hear that, Chris? As the son of God, he was God for every human being. 
But as the Son of Man, he was every human being back to God. What? The gospel is good news. As the Son of God, he found blind people. He said, receive your sight. He was Son of Man enough to have mercy on the woman with the issue of blood. But he was Son of God enough to release virtue to heal her. You see that? You see that? He was Son of Man enough to have compassion on the lepers of his day. But he was Son of God enough to speak a word and with his words, he would drive out leprosy from them. He was Son of Man enough to see people that were lame and couldn't move and have compassion on them. But he was son of God enough to say, stretch out your hand and bones begin to pop back straight in there. He was son of God enough to say, rise up and walk. I am so grateful that he was son of God enough to see that humanity cannot cross the chasm and get to me. They cannot even come out of the tomb that Adam has enshrined them in. And he was God enough to come from eternity in the time. He was God enough to step out of his spirit realm, as it were, while still being 100% divinity and deity and clothe himself in a human body. That is the incarnation. He was God enough to do that. And yet man enough to live on earth for 33 and a half years. He never knew what it was to sweat in the heavens, but he sweated as a man. As a son of God, he never knew what it was to be thirsty. But as a son of man, he said, I thirst. As the son of God, he never knew what it was to feel pain. But as the son of man on the earth, they pulled the hair out of his face, the gospel says. Huh? They mangled his body to such a degree as a son of man that nobody could. Isaiah said he was more mired so much so that you couldn't even tell who he was. Can you see the angel said, look at what they've done to him. And he was son of God enough on a cross. I'm telling you, I don't care what your Bible translation says. There's so many mistranslations in the scripture. The father did not pour his wrath out on his son. If he would have been doing that, he would have been pouring wrath out on himself because the father was always one with the son. Even Jesus says, I believe it's John's gospel. He says, you have left me alone, but I'm not alone because the father is always with me. He, I want you to know the father never turned his back on the son regardless of what sermon you heard. But what was the father doing on the cross? The Bible says, you read it today, that the God, the father was in the son reconciling the world to himself. You know who poured their wrath out on the Son of God? Do you know who poured their wrath out on the Son of God? Pontius Pilate said, what do you want to do with him? And it was human beings, specifically Jews, that said, crucify him. And it was human beings that poured their wrath out on the Son of God. And did you know what God's response was? Do you know what Papa said in response? Hanging from a cross. Son of God and Son of Man. What was he doing? He was merging the two. He said, Papa, forgive them. You want to talk about God being wrathful? You want to know what wrath of God looks like? You're watching it. He says, forgive them. For they know not what they're doing. And in a moment, taking every ounce of energy, he said, he said, Papa, into your hands, 
I commend my spirit. And instantly in that moment, the Bible says that the heavens, for the space, I believe it was three or six hours, the heavens, the sun refused to shine. The S-U-N on that day, it was midday, folks. On that day, the Bible says the sun refused to shine. You know why? Because the sun in the sky on its best day could not even stand beside the S-O-N on its worst day. The sun said, I'm not shining anymore. You know what the sun was saying? You know what the sun was saying? The sun, the sun was saying this. That's the son of God on the cross who created me. And if you think you're taking his light away from him, I refuse to give you mine. And the Bible says that the blood was so powerful that when it fell from every place that they had wounded him, the rocks at the feet of the cross began to bust. This is raw gospel, man. So much so that when they got to Jesus, they were breaking bones to make sure they never walk again. When they got to Jesus, he had already died. But the prophets of old said of Jesus that none of his bones would be broken. And they said, don't even worry about it. He's already dead. But just to make sure, they took a spear and they pierced him in his side. You know what the Bible says came out? What? Blood and what? Blood and water. What happens, ladies, in every birthing room? What comes out in the birthing room? Blood and water. And he was the same way Adam gave birth to his own bride. Here comes the groom of all eternity. Giving birth to his bride, see? It was such a powerful day that even the Roman soldier that pierced him in the side is standing there. And the Bible says this, that that Roman soldier said, truly, this man really was. He was the son of Abba. He really was the son of God. Nicodemus comes and him and Joseph of Arimathea and a few others, but they beg for the body of Jesus to Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate said, you can get it. They get him and they wrap him up. And they lay him in a borrowed tomb. <laughs> the last Adam. And for those space of six hours on the cross, he really and fully assumed everything back to himself that the first Adam had let loose in the cosmos. And he took sin, sickness, disease, broken, poverty, insecurity. He took everything in his own body. A sinless man, he who knew no sin, became he didn't commit sin, but he became sin for us. Why? That you and I, through him, might now become the righteousness of God. And as surely as they buried Jesus or laid him in that tomb, they didn't even know it, but they were laying sins to rest. And Jesus laid in the tomb, and for three days, his body laid there, but not his spirit. What did he do in the tomb? <laughs> his spirit went to Hades, Sheol. And for three days, he proclaimed the gospel. Even to the antediluvians, that means everybody even before the flood, he preached raw gospel to them. And the Bible says when he left that place, Paul and Peter both said that when Jesus left the underworld, it says he led captivity captive. Everybody that was the captive before him, he led. How many of you think stayed there after hearing Jesus preach for three days? How many do you think stayed there after hearing Jesus preach for three days? I'm going to tell you who came out. You know who, who would have been there? Even Adam would have been there. Man, I can see the first Adam looking at the last Adam. Going, I didn't know it could be this good. And all the while he's preaching in the underworld. Pharisees go back and they say, hey, Pilate, you know this guy told, he's a deceiver. He told everybody he 
get up in three days. Can we just, um, can we just make it really, really secure? Yeah, do whatever he said. Make it as secure as you can. This carpenter ain't going nowhere. He's just a Nazarene preacher. Where's he going? And they make it as secure as they can. But in three days, a strong angel comes down. And the guards outside of the tomb fall as they, though they were dead men. And around about the same time, the ladies are coming. All this is happening. The angel sets upon the rock. You know, drinking a Chick-fil-A sweet tea. I know, I know he was. He was drinking a Sun Joy just as sure as I'm standing here. Probably said, the Lord is good. You know. And the angel says, um, I know who you come to see, but I got good news. He ain't here. By the way, you do know that rock couldn't hold Jesus back, right? I want to make sure you understand that, right? He didn't, he didn't roll the stone away for Jesus to get out. Well, now Jesus was like, man, I wish that angel hurry and come on here. I'm, t- I'm trying to get out of here. I got to go. I got to fulfill scripture. No. That's not what he did. He rolls the stone away. Jesus is gone. He's already led captivity captive. Back in the Abba. And when Jesus was resurrected, if he died for all, then how many died? His resurrection, watch this, was the new birth for all of humanity. And now I've given birth. You know what? Nobody has been born in the first Adam for 2,023 years. Because that's only the last one that you could be born into. Troubling, isn't it? But the gospel is just too good to be true. And I got one last thing to say and I'm done. When Jesus rose from the dead, what do you think happened to all the sin that he assumed and brokenness that he assumed from Adam? Jesus resurrected, but not your sin. He left something in that tomb, but it wasn't you and I. We came out with him. Stand to your feet. Can it really be that good? Can it really be that good? If you're in this room today, man, I'm telling you something. If you feel like, man, you know what, man, that's amazing. I want to introduce you to my best friend. If you didn't know it, he's madly in love with you. Everything you heard me talk about today, it was for us. It was for us. If you've never received the life of Christ, Or maybe currently you're living this life and you know what? You're just living, man, the way you want to live. But you want life to be different because you want to walk with the awareness that God lives in you, died for you, shed blood for you, sent his spirit to you. I'm telling you, things can be vastly different for you. But it's all by his grace. If you want to see a change in your own life today, or you got something you just want to offload and give it to him, here's what I want to do. I just want to count to three just because it helps us to know what to do. If that's you, I just want you to extend your hand. One, two, three. Anybody in the room today? Anybody else? I see that hand in the back. Anybody else? Anybody else? As a family, can we do this? My friend, I just want you just to say this prayer with me. We're all going to do this together out loud. Can we do this? Can we say, Lord Jesus? Lord Jesus. We see you. We see you. We hear you. Thank you for your life. 
your blood shed, your life given. I believe that you are the Son of God who died for my sins but was raised for my justification. I confess that with my mouth. And I believe that with my heart. In your name. Here's what I say that we don't know how to do yet. On the earth, we don't know how to have parties. We're still learning. We're still struggling to learn how to have parties. In heaven, the scripture says that every angel in heaven, they literally rejoice when one person has a metanoia. It's a repentance, a change into the way they think about the things of God. Right? So can we on the count of three rejoice? Watch this. For the one. Heaven says, I'll do it for one. But can you do it for one? Man, we do it. I do it as if that was my brother, my sister, my mom, my dad, my loved one. Come on. Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Some of you guys better get ready. Some of you guys are going to have you're going to have encounters driving to work. You're going to have encounters sitting around your dinner table. He left the tomb and he started appearing in all kinds of places, walking through walls. Yep. Get ready. He's that real and he's that good. Come on, cameraman up front. Hey, listen, I want to do this before we go and before with our families, before we just rejoice and spend Easter, Pascha, however when you want to do it today. I want to give you permission to do that. But I want to say this. If you're in this room today and you know what? I want to be a part of this family because I feel connected to what Jesus is doing there. And you know that's you. I want you to get out of your seat right now and come join me up front, and we're going to celebrate as you come. Hey, we're going to spend some time with her, but I want to say this. We love you. God bless you. Have an amazing week, and we look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you. Have an amazing time. Thank you for taking a moment to listen in to what Jesus is doing right here at Way Family Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. If you want to be a part of helping us to continue to share the gospel and get it out to as many people as we can, you can do that via Cash App at dollar sign Way Family Church or you can visit our website at wayfamilychurch.com and click on the giving tab. For more information about Way Family Church, you can connect with us on all social media platforms or simply go to wayfamilychurch.com. Be blessed.